You're listening to the Go For Growth Podcast with Doug Hall. Hi, everybody. This is Doug Hall, the host of Go For Growth, a podcast to help you think about the growth of your business. And today I have a special guest, June Jewell, who's the president of AEC Business, literally an industry expert in architectural and engineering business segment. And I'm really glad to have June with us today to share her insights on growth in all of its forms. And I, I might add that we are in the thick of the COVID-19 crisis as we record this. And by the time you hear it, we may be on a little bit on the other side of that, but there's some timeless messages that I think we can discuss today to help you think about growth in challenging times as well as growth in good times. So June, welcome to Go for Growth. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks for having me. Great. So the theme is growth and we're in a recession because of this COVID virus. So share a little bit with us, a little bit about your journey, how you got here, what's what's important in your business and for your clients. And, um, and the theme, I guess, whether we can't avoid it, crisis managing through crisis and leading through crisis is part of what we're all learning right now. So there's a little backdrop for you to start with. Sure. Yeah, I've been through a lot of crises, so <laughs> not sure that always makes you totally prepared for the crazy things that are happening right now. No. Um, I, I went into business 30 years ago and actually got started because I got fired from a job uh, uh, when a recession was just hitting, worked for a CPA firm, got fired and decided to go out on my own and became a uh, software reseller. Since hmm. then, I've been through four recessions or this is the hmm. fourth, I guess, and and a failed partnership in 2010 that ended two years later. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to be able to sell my business that I had started in 1990 uh, after 24 years and sold it and started in, uh, this new business now that I that I own, AEC Business. Hmm. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting journey to this point. So you've. Um... No doubt over these years, you've had employees at varying levels and quantities. So talk to us about adding employees and now in this time of crisis, how we sometimes have to shed employees. What have you, what lessons have you learned there? Yeah, I've learned a lot of lessons from both from my businesses that I've owned as well as with the almost thousand architecture engineering firms that I've worked with over the last 30 years. I've seen what they've gone through. <clears throat> Excuse me. The 2008 crisis really, really hit the architecture engineering and construction industry especially hard. When it first started, I had clients that had 100 employees that went out of business overnight, um, mostly because of cash. They, they had, their receivables were too high. Right. And they were forced to just close the doors and they ended up selling their businesses on pennies on the dollar. And uh, and so just watching all of that happen, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And then, and then it was interesting to see 10 years later, they were all fighting for employees. And they, the biggest challenge they've had for the last three years is finding talent and finding mm. experience architecture and engineering and environmental consultants. And they've been poaching them from each other and, and that's been their major focus. So it's really interesting to see the dynamics of, of how the industry affects, you know, the demand for these 
really highly skilled people. But what I've seen is I've had a mixture of 1099 consultants. I've had employees. Uh, there's pros and cons to having different models. Mm-hmm. And it, what's really interesting, in 1990, when I went out on my own, I started working at home. And back then, all we had was a fax machine and a telephone. And the U.S. mail had a lot of stamps. And mm-hmm. I've been virtual this entire time. And even in 2010, when I did my merger with another company, at that point, we had 35 employees in 13 states all working at home. And we had to come up with really interesting policies and processes for making sure they were productive, that we knew what they were doing, they were, that they were following our, you know, our rules. And, you know, so it takes a lot. Of, it, it does take extra thought process to be able to create an environment where that, where that kind of virtual remote working environment can work for a company. And I've had to fire people because they were gardening instead of working. (laughs) Sure. 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 Human, human nature, right? Yeah. So while we're on that topic, interesting that um, I hadn't thought we'd touch on remote work and virtual. We're all in that world now. I mean, most every part of the North America is in some kind of a stay at home work from home. So what have, what did you find over those decades of managing this? What did you find to be the best policies and, and tips that you, you used every day? In fact, think about the ones that became unconscious because you did it for so long. Yeah. Well, part of it's technology. You know, we all mm-hmm. had instant messaging and it, can, it shows whether you're online or not. So we could see who was online or who wasn't. We could see each other's mm-hmm. calendars, so we knew whether you had appointments. Since 2017, I've exclusively used uh, video conferencing for all of my meetings. I Most of my clients hire us remotely now. We rarely go on site. And so, you know, really employed video conferencing, which is just so much more effective than the telephone for developing relationships with clients um, mm-hmm. and employees and employees. So... There's a, we had a whole manual we created about um, how to set up your home office, what our expectations were about your internet connection and things like that. And, you know, when problems rose up technology-wise, we dealt with it. But technology does solve a lot of problems. Right. And, and that's interesting that you actually created sort of a procedure manual around working virtually. Yeah, you have to. If if you, not everybody can work at home. <laughs> right. I I think there's going to be a lot of people finding that out pretty soon. I was on with yeah, a, a woman yesterday who had two little kids running around, and her company made her work at home, and I don't think it was working that well for her. But uh, no, probably not. So yeah. um, that's that's a great topic. What's the common failure mode that you saw in virtual? So if if owners and managers are listening to this now, what should they look out for? What's the number one gotcha? Well, first of all, you have to trust people because, you know, it's all based on trust. And it's really interesting. I was in a CEO roundtable in the fall and the topic of, of letting employees telework came up. And some of the CEOs said things like, well, we don't know what they're doing because we can't see them. And my response to them was, you don't know what they're doing in your office. If you cannot trust the person at home, then you can't even trust them in your office. It doesn't really matter where they are. You either trust them or you don't trust them. 
Uh, the mm. other thing is you have to give each person goals that are measurable. You have to have metrics to be able to measure performance that they need to understand those metrics. Like in the case of an architecture engineering firm, utilization is a very important metric and it has to be monitored and you have to help employees be able to achieve those goals. But it really does come down to trust. Mm, I think you're right. So tell us a little bit about your ideal client in the uh, architecture and engineering world. And, and what, what are the, some of the common problems you see that you, that you solve with your methodology? Sure. I wrote a book about uh, seven years ago now called Find the Lost Dollars, Six Steps to Increase Profits in Architecture, Engineering, and Environmental Firms. And in the book, I identify 10 culture traps. And that's usually where we start with a firm because we find that these culture traps are causing behaviors um, on an everyday basis that are causing them to leak money from all over the business. Um, okay. In particular, I identify nine areas of the business where they commonly lose money. But the 10 culture traps include things like uh, keep the client happy at all costs. And when that is your philosophy, if that's what you're training your employees to do, then the employee will do anything to avoid upsetting a client. So, for example, if a client asks for extra services that are outside the scope of the contract, employee won't ask them for a change order. And so mm -hmm. you'll end up losing, losing a lot of money on the projects. Um, so the mm -hmm. employee needs to understand that, yes, we want to keep them happy, but at the same time, we have to make a profit. My ideal client is usually a, a little bit, I don't want to say a young CEO, but a newer CEO. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is most of the firms have been around a long time. Their founders very often or their founders' kids are running the business. And they grew up in a very traditional, conservative, um, what I call top-down leadership mode. And okay. we're looking for clients that really want to change their culture to be more progressive, uh, to be more transparent, um, to, to be able to relate to the millennials and the gen and the gen Z's and X and <laughs> that are that are all the others. now make up half the workforce and they get very frustrated by those people but it's really because they're not willing to bend their old school ways of looking at how the business should be run. I can help them get through some of that um, if they're willing to take a good look at what they're doing and see that it's not working but in some cases we need to wait until the more um, progressive leader comes in, in into leadership role and they're really looking to make some changes. Is the older generation, whether it's family or whatever, is the older generation sort of hanging around being supportive of the new leadership or are they just gone in most cases? Well, there's a, there's a couple things going on here. If they're doing a leadership transi transition internally, um, and this is one reason I come into a business is because they're not making enough profit to pay off the old guy to leave. Like he wants All to right. leave and retire, but there's no money to do that. And so oh. um, very often they're hanging around a lot longer than they wanted to. And part of that is because of the recession in 2008, um, the firms lost so much value that it took them many, many years to recover that value. And 
leaders who thought they were going to retire, you know, between 65 and 70 years old, or now they're 75 and they're still not retired, mm-hmm. um, which is very frustrating to them and frustrating to the younger people who are ready to take over. So there's a lot of different dynamics going on very often when I'm working with a firm. My 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 average client is somewhere in the ballpark of, say, 70 to 300 employees. And okay. so they usually have multiple people on their leadership team, and there's usually some conflict going on there in terms of their agreement on the vision of the company and where they're going and, and how to make a living and what kind of clients they want to um, they want to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are typical issues, but very often profitability is a result of a whole number of things they're doing that just aren't working and mm-hmm. or the lack of profitability, I should say. So really lack of profit is an outcome from these culture traps and these nine sort of money leaks. Definitely. Tell us a little yeah. bit about one or two of those. Tell us about the top ones in those nine money-losing areas. Sure. Well, I alluded to the, one of them earlier, which is called scope creep. So All right. Scope, scope creep, creep right. is, is where you create an estimate for a project, and it has a very defined scope, and then your employees don't abide by it. They There's two types of scope creep. There's internal and external. Internal is where your employees just decide to over-design the project. They have... 30 hours to do a task and they spend 60 hours on it and you can't build a client for that extra time. So it creates a write-off. The other type is external. That's where the client changes their mind and they have, you know, they want more meetings and they want more drawing revisions and they want site visits and they want all of these things that weren't in the original contract or they actually want to change the design itself somewhere along the way which is going to cost a lot of money. It tends to trickle down from architects to all the different engineers who are supporting that project. And then you're going to have, if if you don't stand strong and get change orders right when the client is requesting the changes and monitor those things really carefully, you're going to lose a lot of money on the project. So um, that makes makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. That's the biggest one, but there's, there's a lot of other ones. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of other well, ones. You, you got nine, so uh, we won't have time to go through all nine, but that's uh, that's a, a great reason for folks to really dig in and research what you do. Cause, and, and I think it's really fascinating that you're in the sort of 70-ish employees plus because that's a pretty good-sized team of people. And you're right, there's going to be at least three key leaders there, maybe five. Yeah, we have smaller clients. We have a whole bunch of them, but my yeah. average client that's, you know, really focused on improving their business and changing the culture, they're usually a little bit bigger. Um, sure. I'd say my average is probably around 100 employees. Mm. And I think what happens is they're still run like a mom and pop shop until they get to that 70, 80, 90, and they realize we can't keep doing this. It's right. not working, and we have to. We need new processes. We need procedures. We need accountability. Um, they don't like accountability. No. And <laughs> yeah, I know that's um, that's my world. <laughs> that's my world. Teaching people EOS is it's like 
guys, it's based on accountability. We create a thing called an accountability chart for a reason. <laughs> and they, some of them went out and created their own firm because they didn't like accountability. Exactly. For somebody else. Yeah. And right? they wanted autonomy and creativity right. to be, you know, more important than they don't, they don't like, to, you know, it's interesting. They don't even like to talk about profit. I, I mm. talked to someone recently and he says, well, we don't talk about profit. And I said, why? And he said, well, the younger people don't have an ear for that these days. They want to save the world and, you know, improve the environment and be part of the community. And I said, well, how are you supposed to pay for that? Right. And it, <laughs> you know, and so I, what I do is I try to connect the mission of the company back to the profitability so they can see we've got to make money in order even just to pay you guys. We've got to make money to give you benefits. Yeah. We've got to make money to be part of the community and to give back to the, to the world. Um, and then these days you need money just to stay in business. So, um, yeah. So, how much do you teach about the difference between profitability and cash flow? We 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 go into that very deeply. Um, not the same thing, is it? No, not at all. We um, but profit is is what what happens in a typical architecture engineering firm is they don't focus on profit; they focus on revenue. And so mm. you know, oh well, we we build the client, you know. Um, well, number one, we may not have made any profit. And number two, we may not ever get paid. So those are two big problems um, yep. that they have. So just focusing on revenue isn't, isn't good enough. They, one of the things we teach about also is getting the right clients, to get clients okay. that, uh, that value your work and where you're able to make a good profit. So, and that's, you know, when the recession hit in 2008, they all became desperate to stay in business and to keep their people utilized. So they just started taking horrible projects that had no profit. Mm. And that creates a vicious cycle of long-term business losses mm. and, and it holds back growth. And what's interesting is the last five years, and especially the last two to three years, these firms have been growing out of control. I, I think in some cases they've been growing too fast. And what happens when you grow too fast is cash flow becomes a massive problem. Yeah. Uh, because it normally takes about 120 to 180 days from the time a new employee starts to when you start collecting the cash for the first work that they did months ago. And so that's that, you know, they then they have to go out and borrow if they're not getting paid fast enough. So it's growing too fast can be a bad a big problem as well. So that opens the door. I mean, that that would be a self-induced uh, crisis, a little different than we're talking with the virus and all that. But tell me about how how many, what percentage of the time do clients show up with you to you with this sort of crisis that they created, and you're in a way helping them turn around, right? They're they're in. Uh, is that is that normal for you, or is that a, like a rare exception? I think. Probably in the last two years, uh, the firms have been more profitable. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I've been focusing on for the last couple of years as they've been more profitable is helping them develop their future leaders to make sure their future leaders have a good financial background and financial acumen to be able to, to, be able to take over the firm someday and, and make good financial decisions. 
Um, I also help a lot with processes and systems. I have a systems background, having sold a major ERP system into many of the firms. For many years, I understand the system side. And um, one of the self-made crises they often have is that they don't really utilize their system very effectively. So they end up with lots of spreadsheets and yeah. people all doing things their own way. And, and there's a lot of um, inconsistency. Interesting. Yeah. Systems and processes. is uh, Folks want to put that off. They don't necessarily want to tackle that. It's not the most fun challenge. No, and it's, it's right. The last few years, they've been too busy to deal with it, which I think is a big mistake, but it's hard to tell them that when, you know, when they're, they're too busy. busy and they've ever, yeah, when you're too busy or you're too slow, yeah. you know. In fact, of, in fact, June, I'm just too busy to have this conversation with you. So come back when business slows down. And you're like, yeah. uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You you could use my help right now, <laughs> you know, dealing with busy. Yeah, and when business slows down, you're then you're in a panic mode of what do I do with all these employees that I have? So if there's never a great time to, to deal with, no. you know, getting your business um, set up so to, to be better in the future. And that's really, you know, we're just trying, you and I are really in the same business. We're trying to help these companies to be better, to, yeah. to have a strong foundation so they can grow. And otherwise, you're just onboarding people into chaos. And it's, that's, never a good, that's never a good thing. So, You know, have you found any mindsets or any helpful tools for the too busy CEO, let's say it's the young generation one coming in and the old generation's trying to transition and they really are ideal, you know, they got the right number of employees, but they come up with the sort of objection of, well, we're just too busy to really start right now. Have you found any sort of like pry bars or leverage points to say, wait, 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 now is the time you've got to break through the busyness. You've you got to, you know, to use Michael Gerber or somebody else, you got to work on the business, not in the business. Right. Yeah, so um, there's a couple things. Um, one is if you look across the organization, very often what you see is while they're making, let's say they're making 20% profit, and years ago they okay. weren't, they were making 12, right? So they think, wow, we're doing really well. When in fact, they actually could have been making 25. So they're mm -hmm. actually losing 5%. So one of the things I always do is go back to the numbers. Show me what your write-offs look like. Show me, um, you know, how many projects are going over budget. Um, are all of your business units performing where they should be? Because in very often, one business unit's doing 30% and the other one's doing 20%, and so they would balance out. So mm -hmm. somebody else is pulling all the weight for the other business unit. So in that case, what we might do is focus on turning around an underperforming team. So that's a strategy that I've often use to say, well, just give me this team of people and let's see if we can turn this group around so they're I'm hitting their potential. Yeah. Um, okay. And Yeah. And then another, uh, another option is to start at the top. So very often I say, let's just get the leadership team together so that we can all agree on the path forward for how we want this company to be run um, from a, you know, business operations standpoint. Right, so, get that culture 
reset that culture, reset the mindset at the leadership team. Yes. Before so going I, I've done hard. that many, many times, and that has been very successful. They, they, they will come back and tell me, wow, you know, we haven't agreed on this stuff ever before um, because they didn't have a process, a way to, to sit down and look at, um, look at everything in a, in a methodical way. Mm-hmm. When you engage and when a, when a client in your sweet spot signs up with you and gets started with you, what does the process look like? You know, what phases do you have? How long does it take? Are they with you forever? Are they with you for a month? I mean, what does, what does it look like? Yeah, you know, it runs the gamut. We really have two main types of clients. The smaller clients, we actually have a, a, the ability for them to do our entire program on their own without, um, without our help. We have it all okay. kind of in a done-for-you program, and that makes it more affordable for them. And, um, and, and they've gotten great results. I've, I've been very excited to see that, you know, a, a 20 person firm will, will often see a 10 time return on investment in just a few months because there are so many areas they just haven't been addressing in the company. Um, nice. and then with the, the firms that are a little bit bigger tend to be what we call our enterprise clients. And we have a three-step process that they go through. We have a business assessment survey where we survey all their employees about how people, process, and systems are running in each of the nine areas of their business. And we get Mm -hmm. a detailed report back that we sit down and go over with the executive team. And that process only takes about a week, so it's pretty easy. And then we have a 10-week training program where they do one hour a week um, of our online content and it's very interactive with exercises and games and videos and assessments. Okay. And it also has goal setting. It's fun. We, we like to challenge each employee to find $10,000 in 10 weeks. It's called Find the Lost Dollars. So we're asking them to go find the lost dollars. And uh, many of them will. They'll go out there and find all kinds of lost dollars that their company has been losing. And, nice. uh, so, and so they, we combine that one hour online with one hour of group discussion which we often facilitate virtually uh, over mm-hmm. Zoom. And mm-hmm. we, um, in 10 weeks, and then we like, have a wrap uh, meeting. Are they subgroups of employees or like the manager level or teams? Sometimes it's a mixture. Sometimes it's just the leadership team. Sometimes it's a mixture of leaders, business unit leaders, and project managers. It depends mm-hmm. on the company and, and what their specific goals are. The first step in our process really is to understand their goals and build the program around their goals. Mm-hmm. And then our enterprise clients are putting t- probably, you know, 15 to 20 people at a time over a two or three year period. And that's what's going to completely transform their culture um, so that they're speaking a common financial language. They can give their project managers detailed project reports out of their system and they'll be able to understand what they're reading because very mm-hmm. often they don't. They've never had the financial training before. They don't even know what most of the terminology means or how it's calculated. So, um, and then our third step really is to, what we find is that after they go through these two steps, we have all of these great ideas and goals set that we go back and we prioritize and we start figuring out, okay, if we could implement one, two, or three of these every quarter, those lost dollars are just going to start pouring into the company. And so, we meet and we prioritize the goals that they've put in and we then uh, figure out which ones we want to implement. 
I actually have a detailed process for doing that as well that has been very effective. And very often they can get, you know, two to three really critical internal initiatives um, implemented in a few months. And then they'll go on and do, you know, some more of them. So it's a right. business pop- improvement start- is a never-ending process. Yeah, exactly. And and so they pretty much have a 10 to 12 weeks up front to sort of get going. And then you are able to see things clearly and they pick the two to three critical areas where they can get a lot of gains or yes. get them done. Which we're addressing the scope creep problems or their estimating issues or their project management practices. Um, sometimes it goes around their proposals and sales. Um, mm. So, you know, we're, we're looking at all of those areas and, and then uh, the enterprise clients were very often working with them on a monthly Sometimes it's quarterly basis to hold them accountable and give them support to help them keep moving and making, you know, making progress and getting momentum, keeping the momentum going. How do you do that? We have calls with them, um, you know, every couple of weeks sometimes. Sometimes it's once a month. Sometimes it's quarterly, depending on the firm and, and what, they're, what they want to do and how strong their internal facilitation group is. Uh, we'll meet with them and we'll talk about where they're at with each of their initiatives and what's holding them back and try to help them keep keep the, I say, keep your foot on the gas pedal, right? Um, yep. What happens with a lot of internal initiatives is people give up on them. Yep. You know, if there's not enough attention being paid and, and nobody's holding anyone accountable, they just kind of die. Mm-hmm. So the cadence of that is you, you sort of work that out with the client, depending on their yeah. situation. It depends on the firm and and how you know what what they're what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So how do I mean? We're all in a world where people need help and they don't necessarily know about us. How do people usually find out about AEC business? Well, I am um, speaking at a lot of industry conferences. Uh, we do a lot of marketing ourselves. We also have affiliate partners and referral partners and um, implementation partners, too, who implement our program oh. across the country. Some of them are CPA for them. Some of them are software resellers that I've known for a long time. They're all industry experts. They're connected in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, But very often, we'll meet them at a conference, and which have all been canceled this quarter. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I had five that, that I was supposed to be at this quarter, and they're all canceled. Um, but that's normally where we get most of our clients is through those conferences. And we also do email marketing and webinars and things like that. And I have a blog. Good. Uh, did any? By the way, modern times here, did any of those conferences flip over and say they're going to go virtual? I am aware of some that did, but not the ones that I was signed up for to sponsor. It's very hard for mm-hmm. a sponsor to, to, to deal with um, a situation like that. Some of them some of them delayed until the fall. And so I'm interested to see how that's going to work out. Yeah, we might have a whole crush of uh, events, you know, in September. <laughs> yeah, and then are people going to go? I, yeah, I, are people going to go? We right? don't know that. It's all a mystery. No. We really don't know. But the fact that you've essentially conduct your business on 
sort of Zoom meetings or other platforms, I mean, you're modern. You're set up for this crazy coronavirus situation. We are. And the other interesting thing is that in the industry, our biggest competitors are mostly live training events. And so those are Mm. all getting canceled. And I think this is a great opportunity, especially if there's a little bit of downtime for some of the project managers, get them to do this online program, which will actually help build the financial stability that companies are going to need right now to keep going. Yeah. So what's happening to the typical AEC firm now, you know, these several weeks we're into the coronavirus, what's going on with building projects and design projects? I don't know yet. Um, I'm, I don't think a lot of decisions have been made at this point. Uh, Most of them are working at having their employees work at home when that has Mm -hmm. not been the case in the past. So that's caused a lot of chaos for them. And most of them are telling me, you know, get back to me in a month or two. Uh, we can't talk to you right now. So, and I understand that. Yeah. I completely, completely understand. Nobody's in a position at this point to do anything um, no. uh, until we we get some clarity here around what the world's going to look like in a few months. Exactly. Well, it's certainly an interesting time. That's, uh, and it's unfortunate that people are are being both economically and physically impacted by the virus. But, you know, we, it's just the latest challenge. We've got to rise up and, and manage our way through it. Yeah. And I, I, I just wrote an article that's getting published today on our blog, and it's basically saying, you know, in some cases, opportunities are presented in these situations that would normally not be available. So everyone needs to be looking for those opportunities. That's right. It, it's uh, <clears throat> there can be a silver lining in that dark cloud. So you got to keep your eyes open and uh, be ready to serve, and and maybe be ready to do something a little different, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, these, sometimes very some, different. Sometimes very different. So tell us how folks can learn more about you and AEC Business. Well, they can definitely go to our website aecbusiness.com. And uh, and you'll also see there, there's a blog and I have lots of great articles um, that address all of these different issues that we've been talking about. And hopefully they'll get some value there. Um, and if you get on our email list, you'll hear about webinars and, and other events, uh, uh, online events that we'll be holding in the future. Awesome. So um, in kind of wrapping up, I want to challenge you to think for a second trying times, challenging times, you know, you're here to help your clients. What's your number one piece of advice right now? Whether they're your client or not, they're just in your market. What's your number one thought for them? Well, uh, obviously cash is incredibly important right now. I would say get out there and get some cash. I I think especially if you have a huge amount of receivables right now, that is going to be a huge challenge if the cash stops coming in or things do um, things do slow down. Um, the other mm-hmm. the, one other one other thing I'd say is give your employees a lot of guidance. Um, oh. Guide them through this. Uh, look where you can tweak your systems and processes to be more efficient for them, so they aren't wasting time. And making sure that you're communicating frequently with employees because they are freaking out 
probably right now. Yeah. And um <laughs> and have you know, leadership I believe requires staying calm in the in the face of extreme uncertainty. So get your cash and, and keep your employees if you can. Great advice. Yeah, there's there's nothing like communicating and over communicating. Uh, it's pretty difficult to over communicate with employees, isn't it? It is, and most firms way under communicate. Yeah, yeah. I tell my clients the same thing. When you've said it seven times, you've said it once. <laughs> so say it you're a lot. exactly right. Say it a lot. Well, June, it's been delightful to have you on the podcast. Uh, great points of wisdom. Excellent service for your target clients. I encourage folks out there to check out AEC Business and tell your friends that are in architecture and engineering, you know, about this because, you know, it's uh, not everybody knows there's help available. So time to help each Thank other. You. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, June. We want to help them out, especially now when things are so tough. Yep. Well, thanks, everybody. That's another episode of Go for Growth podcast. Thanks to my guest, June Jewell. And look for the next podcast coming around. And if you're interested or know somebody that would like to be a guest on this podcast, just reach out to me at Doug at resourcesforceos.com. Thanks again. Go out there and be successful. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com slash guide.